You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. You know, I have been uh, looking forward to this message for a long time now. Plan this in advance, and uh, not just because I'm really excited to be able to share this with you, but because it's the message I think I most need to hear myself. Today we come to a passage in the New Testament in which, uh, through the Apostle Paul, Jesus essentially says to us, focus on the positive. Let's check this out together. Please open to Philippians chapter 4. Verses 8 through 9, you'll find that on page 955 of the Pew Bible. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's Word aloud together. As Jesus calls us to focus on the positive. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy Word. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, beloved... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Well, I've started to call myself Mr. Positive. Now, if okay, there's a little chuckle in the room, and that's because that's because some of you know me, and uh, there there are many good qualities that I possess. But um, on the list, you're probably not going to put positive really near the top necessarily if you know me. And yet, I am Mr. Positive. And when I say that, uh, there's a big part of that that's aspirational, right? This is who I want to become. I want to be known as Mr. Positive. But it's also, to a large extent, accurate. Because, by faith, I know that I have been bound to Jesus Christ, bound to Him in His dying and in His rising, I am a new creation, and I have the Holy Spirit inside of my life. Therefore, positive is who I am. It's who I really am in Christ. It's the best me. And I look forward to Him bringing out the fullness of that true identity day after day as I practice positivity. Now, I say I'm Mr. Positive, and it's not that I don't know myself or that I am prone to think or say or even do sometimes negative things. It's not that I don't know the world that we live in. All around us, there are people who are struggling with suffering and sorrow. It's just that I know that I have been called to live with good news, with the gospel. And the truth is, I'm rather tired of living without it. I've done that for a long time. I'm tired of living with shame and self-pity and discouragement, with cynicism and criticism and bitterness. And I'm ready to embrace the world and myself as a part of the world just as God embraces the world. God so loved the world, He gave His Son. 
And I want to see the world and embrace the world and speak to the world and live with the world the way God does in Jesus Christ. I'm ready to be positive, to live with good news. And so is the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 8, if there is anything, any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He's saying, be positive. But let me ask you a few questions this morning. Do you ever get suspicious of positive people? I do. Sometimes I say to myself, you know, life just can't be that rosy, right? I mean, is there not an element of denial sometimes? It seems to be apparent in these positive people. I want you to think for a moment of the most positive person in your life. Think of somebody in your life that's just hopelessly positive, okay? Let that person come to mind. For me, it's easy. It's my wife, Anne. Okay? If, you, if, if, if Anne doesn't think you're just the best person that has ever lived, it's only because she hasn't met you yet, right? See, and I, you know, I know that I can't, like, actually can't be true, is, what I'm, is, what I'm, is my response. You know, and Anne and I, truth be told, are very different people. When we got married, I discovered that at the end of each day, she would crawl into bed and she'd write in what she called her thank you book, a list of things she was grateful for that day. For some reason, she stopped doing it not long after we got married. <laughs> But she's kind of incurably positive. And I like to think of myself more as a realist, you know. She sees the positive. I see what's really there. And uh, in this case, I think we're a nice couple. We kind of balance each other's out. In fact, sometimes I feel like it's my duty to balance her out. She's telling me all the good stuff that's happening, and I'm going, yes, but there's also all the bad stuff. And the more positive she gets, the more negative I get, just kind of as a gift to her to help her <laughs> see the full picture, the whole thing. As it, so this is, you know, my gift to Anne. And I may not be alone in this. I may not be the only realist in the room. Are there, are there, I suspect there are other realists here in the room uh, this morning. But I want to draw your attention to the Apostle Paul. And let's ask the question whether it seems like this man is living in denial. Now, let's keep in mind, this letter is written from prison, he tells us. Our best guess is the year is A.D. 62. Likely, Paul writes, from Rome. He's been falsely accused. So he's, he's not committed a crime, and uh, he, while he's in prison, we read there are imposters taking advantage of his captivity out in the world around. Uh, there are divisions internally in the church. There are external persecutions in the church he loves here in Philippi to whom he's writing. The man who delivers the letter is a man named Epaphroditus. We learn that he nearly dies of illness in the attempt uh, to serve Jesus Christ in this community. Paul himself thinks, in all probability, this will be my last letter. I'm soon to be executed. So, you know, this is a guy who's not just wearing rosy glasses, right? It doesn't seem to be denial. As a matter of fact, we read in another letter, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, five times I've received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And beside other things, I'm under the daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. I feel anxious just reading that. 
But this is the Apostle Paul. I tell you, he's not in denial, and yet he is incurably positive. He sees the world as it is. I wonder, though, if he doesn't see a little bit more than I see. So I don't think we need to be suspicious of of positive people. What we do need to do is what Paul urges us to do, and David urged us to do at the beginning of the service in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice, he says. I want to show you a little cartoon that I came across recently. It's a Charlie Brown uh, cartoon. It's got four frames to it. I'll read it to you. This Charlie says, this is my depressed stance. He's got his head down. When you're depressed, it makes a lot of difference how you stand, he says. The worst thing you can do is straighten up and hold your head high because then you'll start to feel better. So this is the final frame. If you're going to get any joy out of being depressed, you've got to stand like this. And he's looking at his shoes, right? Of course, the point is, in any situation that you're in, there are at least two ways to stand, head up or head down. You've got a choice. I have a good friend who came to know Jesus later in life. She was an executive in Hollywood. She was an agent. And when Christians would come to her, she'd say, do you believe that Jesus is alive and he loves the world? And they'd say yes. And then she'd say, well, please inform your face. You know, let's see. Can we see like, can we see like a smile on you? Now, um, the world is, uh, does not need another grumpy Christian. We've got plenty of those. And she knew it. But here's another question. Do you ever think that the idea that you can just choose your attitude seems kind of simplistic? You know, as as though somebody who's out there who's discouraged and depressed is somehow kind of making a bad choice. Like, it's really sort of their fault that they're so miserable. You know what? I I do feel that way sometimes. And I know for sure that you cannot positive way think, positive think your way out of a crisis. You can't positive think your way out of domestic violence, out of pancreatic cancer, uh, out of the loss of a loved one, or out of depression. By the way, depression is not a problem of negativity. Depression is a disease. And uh, I know many of us do struggle with depression. I want to just urge you to get help, for professional help for depression. There's a lot we can do today, and there's no shame in, in, in doing it. And the other thing I want to note in this is that this is not about giving advice to people who are suffering, saying, oh, just cheer up, there's a silver lining. That is not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the way that we speak to ourselves. People who are in pain, they need our presence. They need our quiet empathy. And yet, there is a choice to be made about our attitude. It is a hard choice. Uh, This is not simplistic. Actually, what you brain scientists are teaching us these days is how rich and complicated the physiology of our brains. There's this thing called neuroplasticity, which you're familiar about with. And what it means is that uh, we can change our thinking. We also can establish ruts in our thinking. The brain is remarkably efficient, we're learning. When uh, uh, When you take an action, the brain wants to, uh, actually those neurons in your brain kind of reach out to one another, create a pathway so that the next time you, you perform that action, it will be easier to perform. And as we do this, each time we do, we create kind of a bridge between these neurons and a map in our brain that facilitates that thought or that action. 
what this means is that when you think a positive thought, the next time you think a positive thought, it's going to be easier to do so. Of course, the flip side is also true, and that is uh, the more we indulge our negativity, the more it becomes, becomes uh, kind of an inescapable habit. We can, we can grow inside of us, what to use the biblical terminology, the Scriptures call a root of bitterness. And, uh, and, and so it is hard at that point to make a positive choice, and this is a, this is a scary thing. But here's the good news is it's very important to make this choice. And we're learning a lot about the, the, what, what the Apostle Paul is talking about from a health perspective t- these days. And the research out of Stanford University recently has shown that uh, 30 minutes a day, if somebody who complains for 30 minutes a day actually damages their brain, it starts to shrink your hippocampus. It releases cortisol, uh, which is the stress hormone, and it increases your blood pressure and decreases your immunity, your immune system physiological damage. Out of Berkeley, and I'm sorry to mention, you know, these schools, but there is a, <laughs> there's a study that, on gratitude. And, and this study shows that those people who are intentionally grateful for the good, positive things in their lives tend to be more optimistic, tend to feel better about their lives, and, and we visit the doctors less frequently. So it's a hard choice, but it's an important choice. And what the Apostle Paul is saying in this letter is, your mind really matters. And as thinking people, we need to take that more seriously. Your mind really matters. You know, I just took a class last week, up at, a real short class up at Vancouver at Regent College, and I, it was on New Testament theology, and I was stunned. They said, the teacher said, the consensus is growing that even though we thought that the main point of the book of Philippians was joy, that's definitely in here, now scholars are saying the point of the book of Philippians is the mind. That's really what Paul is focusing on. I had not seen that before, but now that you think about it, you'll notice all the way through the letter, Paul's talking about the way he thinks, the way Jesus thinks, the way they should think. And he's speaking, of, he's praying for their insight. And he's, he's speaking of being in one mind. That's how he thinks about unity. And he, he says, have them, let the mind that is in Jesus Christ be also in you. And then, of course, here, the climax of the letter, he's focused on what you think about. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he, this is, for all he knows, this is his last letter. He's in jail thinking he's facing execution. And what he wants to say is, he could say so many things. He wants to say, guard your mind. Be careful with your thoughts. Bubba Watson, several years ago, won the Travelers Championship for the, for the first time. And they asked him, he did this interview, and they asked him, how did you do it? It was interesting. He didn't talk about his strategy or nothing about his swing. He said, it was my mind. It was my, that's his mind. Do you ever wonder whether it makes sense to think about our mood, not just our mission? I think sometimes it can feel, to me at least, a little bit indulgent to just focus, you know, we Christians on feeling better, as though our goal were really internal self-actualization. And I worry that if we do that, we, we kind of marginalize ourselves, we make ourselves irrelevant to the world around us, the world for which Jesus gave His life. What good would it do for us to feel better if the world just gets worse? And right now, we live in a world, even in our city, there are 12, more than 12,000 homeless people right here in 
Seattle and all around us, we're uh, increasingly aware of the racial tensions and injustice of our own society hundreds of years later. Does it help to tune up your attitude? Maybe the world doesn't need better attitudes. It needs more activism. And I think there's some truth to this critique, but, but it doesn't it doesn't scathe Paul because for Paul, attitude and activism are linked. They can't be separated. For Paul, Jesus is the greatest activist who ever lived, and it is Jesus who has the greatest attitude of any human being alive. Paul says he gave his life for others. Even though he, had, uh, uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was God, he is God, He did not think equality with God, a thing to be exploited, but he emptied himself. This is Philippians chapter 2. Became a servant uh, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And then the Father is exalting him so that every knee, the name of Jesus, will bow and every tongue confess. So Jesus is the great activist who, who redeems the world through his service. He puts others first, and he does so because he has the mind, this mind, the apostle Paul says. Now, this dovetails with my own experience. In my experience, I have found that when I am down or discouraged, and I'm not talking about like one month, two years ago, I'm talking about on 30-minute intervals or five-minute intervals as I toggle between good news and bad news in my life, those, those intervals where I'm focused on what's negative tend to be focused moments that pull me inward towards self-absorption. Those are the moments when, when I'm seeing the dark side of things, that I tend to be aware of what I'm not, who we are not, what we cannot do, and, uh, and, I, and I become absorbed with managing my own welfare. I become essentially self-focused. On the other hand, it's in those moments when I am hopeful, when I'm positive, that I look around and I, I have capacity to see into the lives of other people, particularly the lives of other people who are hurting, and think, oh, I have something to offer. Oh, I can come alongside. Oh, I can make a difference here, right? I can sort of embody the hope that I'm feeling in my mind. And so we live into that. That's why, by the way, St. Peter says, uh, have an answer ready to give those who ask you about the hope that is in you. See, the implication of that is that there's a community of people who are actively living with hope that it's visible. They're not asking about your psychic state. They're asking, wow, look at the hope, the way that you're moving from being self-oriented to being other-oriented and merely making a difference in the world around you. That's when the world's going to want to know, tell me about this hope. What Paul is trying to do is call into an existence a community that replicates his ministry, that replicates the ministry he's replicating. It's the ministry of Jesus. Let this mind that was also in Christ Jesus be in you. In other words, don't live for yourself. Become other-focused. What Paul seems to know is that we live out of our minds. And here's a proverb, Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. By the way, the Hebrew conception of heart includes the mind as we think of it. Or as another translation says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It's very similar language that Paul's using in Philippians chapter 4. We live out of our minds. Another question, do you ever feel like you have no control over your attitude? Like your attitude is just kind of recording the circumstances that you have, and when the circumstances are bad, your attitude is going to follow? I know I do. 
But Jesus has convinced me that there is another possibility. And Paul gets at that in the end of the passage that you just read in verse 9. He says this very interesting thing. Don't miss this. The God of peace will be with you. Meaning, expect a miracle, friends. As you struggle to move from negativity to positivity, expect a miracle. Expect God, the God of peace, the God who brings peace to the world and to your mind to be with you in this. The miracle for me started a little bit less than a year ago. I was on vacation. Thank you for that. I was in Idaho, and I just withdrew for a little while to be with Jesus, to read the Bible and to pray and I don't usually do this, but I pulled open a journal and I started to write a little bit. And uh, I was thinking about my life, and the verse that he gave me was Philippians four eight. This one that we're just that we're just reading. And I ended up writing in my journal this exactly this: "Give up the negative commentary; it never helps." And it was there that I wrote for the first time, "Mister Positive." And I was talking about myself. <laughs> my new self, because I've come to believe I don't really like the alternative. Here's a confession for you. I can sit in that seat right here in the first row during a worship service, and I've done this often in the past, and pull out my order of worship and the little pencil they have for me there, and I start to make notes on the, on the bulletin. And I say, oh, my gosh, you know, that prayer was too long. That transition was too slow. The music was too slow. And, the, and I, I'm not exempt myself. So that sermon was too confusing, you know, or too noisy or whatever. And then I take these notes into our worship debrief, you know, on Monday, and I bless the staff with my insights, you know. <laughs> and I, all this negativity. And then I come home, and I bless my family with this. I give them the same gift. And then I go into my prayer life, you know, and I bless God with all of it. And then I go back to my work the next week, and there's even more. And I'm reinforcing all this. And I go, heck, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of that. And I realize with Jesus, it doesn't have to be that. I realize I've had 53 years of education in what they call critical thinking. Uh, but now for me, it's time to have my first year of education in what I would call constructive thinking. How to build. If you ask yourself, well, how would we do that? Let, let the Apostle Paul be our teacher. Let's go back again to, to verse 8. Because the, the, the main verb in these two sentences is think about these things. That's the, that's the heart of it. The, the, the Greek the, in which he's writing says, take account of, pay attention. And notice the footnote there. It says, take account of. Take account of these things. Pay attention to these things. Let your thoughts dwell continually on these things, one translator uh, puts it. Now, you can't necessarily change your attitude, but what you can do is change your attention, and that's the insight here. Paul says, I want to... I I want to look at the camera through which you look at your life, and I want to shift the attention, the focus. Move it from the negative over to the positive. Focus on whatever you can find in any situation that is true, that is honorable, that is pure. You may be watching the news. You may be catching up with a friend. Maybe you're listening to music. Maybe you're analyzing productivity at work. Maybe you're responding to your girlfriend. Focus, and this is the point, focus on whatever is positive. I don't know if any of you saw this a couple of weeks ago. Laurel or Yanny? 
Did anybody see the sound clip? Laurel, okay, Laurel or Yanni. So some of you, when you hear the sound clip, it's put together by a middle school kid, uh, an audio clip. When you hear it, some people think it says Yanni, and other people hear what it ra- actually says, which is Laurel. That's my opinion. But it apparently it depends on how the frequencies that you, your brain is kind of adapted to, the higher frequencies here at one way, lower frequencies here another way. Just as the argument got really heated in the Hinman family kitchen, somebody found an app on the website of the New York Times that allows you to move this little slider, and then everybody can hear it either way. And we're like, oh, okay, so we're all right, you know, in some ways. And I think there's an insight here because this seems to be what Paul is saying. It's like the same reality, but just move your perception. Take this little slider and move your focus from one side to the other side. Start paying attention. Start focusing on anything you can find that's positive. You may not be able to change your circumstances, but you can change your focus, and this will result in a new attitude over time. Paul is demonstrating this for us. He's writing, you take the letter as a whole, you'll see this later. He says, I'm in jail, that's my circumstance, but, but God has begun a good work in me, and even in my suffering, he's going to continue it. That's his focus. He says, oh, there are imposters who are out here, uh, and, and their motives are bad. That's the circumstance. But he says, but Jesus' name is getting out there. That's his focus. He says, oh, there are divisions in the church in Philippi, but this is a great opportunity for you to learn how to subordinate yourself to the needs of others. That's his focus. Circumstances are that he may not get out of this pickle alive, but he says, I hear that heaven is just a great place, and I yearn to be there. That's his focus. What he's doing is in every situation, he's learning to take account of the God of peace who's with him. It's not just your circumstances. It's those plus the God of peace at work. Are you alone in this? Ask yourself. No. Does God care? Yes. Is God able? Yes. Paul's learned how to live with his circumstances, but in Christ, as though Jesus were always the closest thing to him. Before he greets his circumstances, he greets his Savior, Jesus, and finds Jesus greeting him. So I say, I am Mr. Positive. You can refer to me that way in the future if you like. That doesn't mean I'm done learning. I still catch my, frequently, my good days, I catch myself. So um, we were on a bike path yesterday, a group of us, and we were chewed out twice by bikers and for things we were doing. Uh, and <clears throat> my initial reaction was to say, how rude. I can't believe they said that. And then I say, but you know what? It doesn't bother me because I'm Mr. Positive. <laughs> and, and those guys are just trying to make this a shared space that we can all enjoy, right? So I did it, you know, and that's what I want to encourage you to do. <clears throat> Finally, let me give you an example of somebody who had every right to be negative, but who couldn't be because of her love for Jesus Christ. And that's Helen Keller. Uh, If you don't know Helen Keller, she was an activist the last century. She worked for peace, labor reform, and women's rights. But she was born without hearing or sight. And a few few of us face circumstances as challenging as what she did. But here's what she wrote. I have for many years endeavored to make this vital truth clear, and still people marvel when I tell them that I am happy. They imagine that my limitations weigh heavily upon my spirit and chain me to the rock of despair, yet it seems to me happiness has very little to do with the senses. If we make up our minds that this is a drab and purposeless universe, it will be that and nothing else. On the other hand, if we believe that the earth is ours and that the sun and moon hang in the sky for our delight, there will be joy upon the hills and gladness in the fields because the artist, capital A, in our souls glorifies creation. 
Surely it gives dignity to life to believe that we are born into this world for noble ends and that we have a higher destiny than can be accomplished within the narrow limits of this physical life. So, I know I'm going to get in the car and Anne and I are going to drive home today after church, after our celebration, and she's going to go, so how did you feel about that? And I'm going to say, fantastic. To be with God's people, to worship Jesus together, to celebrate how faithful God has been to this community in this city, fantastic. And you may bump into somebody who asks you, so what were they talking about at church today? And I want you to say, I remembered, I was reminded this Sunday of how with God's help, great it is to be alive today. Because you know what? I'm Ms. or Mr. Positive. Let's pray. God, we thank you for good news. We thank you. We know that we live with hard news every day, but we, we know that the greater thing is good news because of the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So pour out your spirit afresh on us. Let us be a joyful community. We pray today, throughout the day, that this will be a place of joyful ministry. We pray that upon ourselves uh, for this week as well. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.